Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. If you've ever wondered what the meaning of life is, it's 42. Also, don't panic and bring a towel. According to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is 42. It's Douglas Adams's absurdly simple answer to a complex philosophical question throughout his comedy science fiction franchise. The book radio show, and movie are all very hilarious. They follow the hero, a hapless, deeply ordinary man named Arthur Dent, who unexpectedly finds himself adrift in a universe characterized by randomness and absurdity, continuously referencing key concepts that resonate with literally all human beings. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? How can I be happy? What does it mean to be human? If you're like me, you've probably found yourself asking at least one of these questions at some point in your life. Maybe you've tried to find yourself through personal development, or by taking a road trip, or you've tried to find meaning with a career change. Maybe it worked for you. But if it didn't, if you're still searching for that one thing that will bring meaning, I want you to really lean into this episode. To be completely transparent, I had no idea what theology of the body was when I started researching this episode. I had heard about it. I knew it began as talks given by St. Pope John Paul II, and I knew it had something to do with sex. I figured it was for married couples, and that was it. What I discovered, though, was so much more. It is, quite literally, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And it's as absurdly simple as the arbitrary number 42. I'm so excited to share with you what I learned after speaking with Bill Donahue, the senior lecturer at Theology of the Body Institute, on why this study is the golden key to living out our God-given purpose. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be talking to you about this topic. It's one that I'm just getting familiar with, so I'm really excited to have an expert come talk to us. Oh boy, the pressure's on, expert. (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure, Rachel, and it's a privilege to be on. I mean, anytime I can can talk about this topic, it's a grace because uh, I'm 22 years in to studying this. I better be an expert by now. And I still find it fascinating, refreshing, inspiring, challenging. So, yeah. So let me introduce myself a little bit, and we'll get into this theology of the body. Um, I am a husband and father first. Uh, My wife and I will be married um, 20 years this coming, well, I guess we're 19 years married now. 
we have four kiddos. Uh, we're a fully adopted family and uh, two boys, two girls. And for the last 22 years, essentially, I've been studying this teaching theology of the body. So I'm a, a senior lecturer and educator for the Theology of the Body Institute. So I travel nationally and internationally, courses, keynotes, um, retreats, presentations on John Paul's teaching on human life and human love, and uh, from bishops down to kids receiving confirmation, the whole church, and translating this teaching from my own experience and heart to this uh, to the whole church, really, has been the grace of my life. So it's a privilege, Rachel, to chat with you about TOB today. I love that. So tell me a little bit more about the Theology of the Body Institute. What is it? And who is it for? Sure, sure. We'll start with the second question. It's for everybody. My my good friend and, uh, and mentor, Christopher West, will often say, if you have a body, uh, the theology of the body is for you. Right? That's us. It's everybody. And in fact, uh, the core teaching of the theology of the body is that you are a body. You are an embodied gift. You are made in the image and likeness of God, male and female and you're called to life-giving love. And so the theology of the body is really about God's plan. It's about God's plan for man and woman from Genesis, from the beginning when he created us embodied beings, man and woman. So in particular, theology of the body is actually a teaching of St. John II. It was his first teaching project as Pope. He began speaking on this topic, theology of our body, and we're going to unpack this in the whole session here, he began teaching it in uh, September of 1979, and he didn't stop till 1984. So five years, he's unpacking a biblical understanding and also a philosophical understanding of what it means to be human. So, I mean, the, the biggest questions are in this teaching, Rachel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what is the mystery of the other? Not just the opposite sex, but the other person. This is a personalistic philosophy, a personalistic understanding of being a person and being human and called again to life and love. So I find under the umbrella of theology of the body is the whole gospel. In fact, John Paul II says the whole mission of Christ is unpacked in this teaching about what it means to be human. That's crazy. So I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so as Catholics, what, what does this mean for us? I mean, obviously, those who are not Catholic also have bodies, but specifically to our faith, what does this mean for us? Yes. So if you think about it, Rachel, everybody has Catholic, non-Catholic, atheist, agnostic, whatever your journey, everybody has the same existential questions. And I just alluded to them, right? Like, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? This applies to every person's deepest ache for relationship for intimacy, for self-awareness and understanding, uh, for my vocation. So the theology of the body can be translated to everybody in their particular walk of life. I mean, one of the core, there's so many places we could go with this, but one of the core teachings in it, which is gospel, this is all the good news of the gospel. One of the core teachings John Paul unpacks is that a person should always be loved and never used. That's kind of at the core of it, that any human person you encounter is never an object to be grasped at, uh, a thing to be objectified or used for pleasure or popularity or power, whatever it might be. The only response, he says, in the presence of another human being is love. 
So think about that, translate that into our present culture right now. If we have an understanding of this personalistic norm, he calls it, that you love persons and you use things, not the other way around, right? Don't use people and love things. If you love persons and use things, we get oriented the right way. I don't fall into greed or lust or murder or avarice or lies. I'm actually being honest, authentic, real. I meet people in and through the body. I encounter them. I, I look at their face. I have no ulterior motives. I mean, you know, this is why for 22 years, I'm going nuts with this teaching because it's the golden key for understanding everything and our own interior joy, right? If you get this, you have joy. You understand why we're here. That's amazing. I, I don't know why, but if, if you've ever seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they mentioned that the yes. meaning of life is the number 42. And I'm like, no, right. well, no, it's not. It's it's this. <laughs> and it's, it's so fascinating to hear you put it so basically plainly, like for lack of a better word, um, it's plain, but it's deep. And when you think about it, it's it's so simple. And yet so many people don't. So I yeah. love that. Yeah, you know what? That's a good thing to kind of put your finger on, Rachel, because if it's overly complicated or convoluted or takes a lot of like, well, you know, it's such a complicated issue, that's actually a red flag. <laughs> the Lord and his plan for us is utterly, but not simplistic. So there, there should be a simplicity here, but it's like it goes down multiple layers. I mean, way down deep. It's a wellspring. So by saying this is utterly simple at its core doesn't mean it's simplistic, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, St. Augustine, before St. Augustine had his conversion, now he was, you know, this amazing early church father, you know, this is what, 1600 years ago. St. Augustine was kind of in the complicated, convoluted, heretical cults and philosophies, and he thought the Bible was too simple. It was a book for peasants. That's what Augustine thought. And then when Augustine actually had a conversion and read scripture, he realized, oh, wow, I've been so arrogant. The scriptures are deep, like the ocean, even though there's simple truths in it, like love your neighbor, you know, <laughs> that that when you scratch that, it goes all the way deep. So this is theology of the body, John Paul's thought. I mean, there's simple quotes you could throw one line out, and that expresses its totality, and yet you'll never exhaust it. For, for Here's one line, and this is Father Pascal Eide. He shared this thought. The essential truth of the human person is gift, right? Gift expresses the essential truth of the human person. If you understand that, you understand everything, right? I, I'm not, it's not based on merit. It's not based on what I can do or my, my curriculum vitae, my LinkedIn profile. It's not like production oriented. And when you see everything is gift from the created world to the created person in front of you, it relaxes your spirit and you're ready to be attentive to everybody. St. John Paul II's theology of the body is that. St. John Paul II lived it in his body. People would say, when they met him, I feel like I was the only person in the room. I don't know if you've ever heard that. When, when people would meet him in the body, they would say it was like he was looking directly at me. He, he's living this truth that you are the image of God. And I, I, I put my phone down. I don't have to be checking email. I'm very attentive because you're a gift. And you have something to give to me. That's another piece of the core of this teaching. That's really powerful when you put it that way. Mm. So this might be a loaded question, but mm. according to John Paul II and his teachings of theology of the body, 
what does it mean to be human? Yes, good question. What he does is he steps into our historical realm. Uh, John Paul II began writing Theology of the Body in the 1970s as a book. And in the 1970s, we're post-sexual revolution. So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, post-industrial revolutions, sexual revolution, communist revolution. The question of what does it mean to be human, uh, secular thoughts were giving ideas, like we're just a pleasure machine or we're just a cog in the great political system, you know, Marxist ideas. None of those answered the question of what it means to be human. So the historical piece is broken. I think every one of us could, could look in the mirror and say, yeah, original sin is real. It's in me. So John Paul II says, okay, what does it mean to be human is a really important question. Are we going to find the answers in this broken mess? He says, let's go back to the beginning. So the theology of the body begins with Genesis. And when we ask that question, what does it mean to be human in the light of Genesis before sin, right? Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we realize to be human means to be in relationship. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, male and female, he created them. Right from the beginning, we realize, whoa, this is, God is not a solitude. He's, he's a family. He says, let us make man. So to be human is to be called into family, male and female, he created them. And then the first commandment from God is be fruitful and multiply, right? So being human means being in relationship, being a gift for another person, not in a clingy way, but being dependent. Like uh, John Paul says, masculine and feminine, he says, explain and complete each other. So if I'm going to be fully alive as a person, as a man, I can't do it alone, right? I, I, and this is American culture now, Rachel, you know this, we've grown up in it, we have to fight this because it's like, you don't want to be dependent, you know, you got to do your own thing and you got to be independent, make your decisions. And uh, we think that sort of radical individualism is, is how we're going to complete and find ourselves. That's not the gospel. <laughs> it's a becoming a gift, right? When we lay down our life, we, we discover it. When we give ourselves, we find ourselves. So being human is about that. Being human means, uh, again, I'm saying the same thing over and over, but you're a gift for me. I'm called to be a gift for you. Then everything starts to pop. Being human, it's being in relationship. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard it phrased like that before, and it makes so much sense. I just really appreciate hearing that it's it's not about being able to do it by yourself because you're right. That's, you know, hustle culture and, you know, just, per, you know, the harder you work, the further you're going to get in life. And I had done an episode previously talking about personal development and how ignoring God's grace is actually somewhat dangerous because, you know, all the different trends in personal development now are delving into topics that really, we have no idea what we're doing, like chakras and things like that. And, and, and when you phrase it, like you said, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. And we have to dial back all the trends and get to the root of the issue. And the issue is having a relationship with another person, you know, not with a rock or, <laughs> you know, because right. people are into crystals and all that. Yes. So I love that. You had mentioned the sexual revolution and, you know, women's liberation. And we're obviously going through something right now as a as a nation. In the Catholic faith, 
mothers are held in very high regard and we want to uphold their dignity and their value. But what about women who aren't mothers? Maybe they aren't mothers yet or God hasn't blessed them with children or they're called to consecrated life. How can women who aren't mothers embrace theology of the body? Wow, this is a really big, excellent question here, Rachel. We're going to have to unpack this slowly and uh, reverently. And I love that you're going right into it because this is literally the past couple of days, this, this whole topic of woman has exploded. And I think without an understanding of like right anthropology or understanding what it means to be human, we can go down the wrong path. And I think our culture and a lot of the screaming and yelling right now and the destruction, literal, physical, emotional, and spiritual is, is showing us we're going down the wrong path. Let me try to answer your question in, in a couple of pieces here. First off, sexual revolution, and I said a little a while ago, uh, industrial revolution, these revolutions, I would almost call devolutions, right? They're, they're, we've, we've lost our human nature. The industrial revolution, um, which would probably be almost 200 years ago, right? This kind of severed us from the natural world and natural rhythms. So when you, when you cut yourself off from the natural, you start to lose the sense of the supernatural. So families kind of got torn apart with the industrial revolution. Jump ahead a little bit. A sexual revolution starts to move us even from our own, like the procreative power of our bodies. So we, we un, we unmoor ourselves from that reality. So the sexual revolution essentially was like the fun, but not the fertility, right? Like it's for pleasure. It's not for procreation. When you do that, you've, you've uncoupled the dual dimension of being human, right? Unitive for love, procreative for life. Uh, now we're dealing with this post post-row world right now. There's a lot of anger because I, I, I want to go back to that. I want that radical freedom. I want to be my own, you know, the arbiter of my own destiny. I want absolute control of my body. Okay, remember the beginning was about you're a gift for me. I'm a gift for you. My body is a gift. My body speaks to language. It means something. So we have to get back into what does it mean to be woman? It's crazy in the last year or so. We've seen so many sort of far left ideologies that, refuse or, or, or don't even answer the question of what does it mean to be a woman? It's almost like irrelevant. Your sexuality is just all social construct. It doesn't mean anything. Again, if we cut off the natural, we quickly become unnatural. Woman, right? So your question, back to your question, Rachel, what, what does an understanding of woman mean today? At the deepest core of the feminine, and we'll talk about the masculine too if we have the time, but the deepest core of the feminine is a nurturing capacity, the ability to literally physiologically bring forth life, like receive the seed from man, give the gift back as life, immortal human life. I mean, talk about power. Do women have power? Heck yes. They have altered the course of human history. Has it been abused by men? Yes, there's been abuse and domination. But woman's deepest core is receiving and gifting back life, constructing, nourishing, and building life. This doesn't mean, to your question now in detail, Rachel, it doesn't mean that every woman, therefore, to realize themselves has to have babies, right? Nor does it mean that every man has to become a biological father to realize his fullness. But every person is called to motherhood and fatherhood, right? Women are called to this, this sort of crown of bearing life, spiritually or biologically, 
nurturing life, being attentive to life. This is woman. Whether you're a consecrated virgin, a married woman, um, a divorced woman who's experienced heartbreak, right? a single woman. John Paul II says, you have a spousal meaning to your body, whatever your vocation. In other words, you're meant to become a gift. And women have a unique capacity to do that, to sort of enter into that realm of life. And I'll say it again, whether it's physical or spiritual, interjecting here, our family story, right? I introduced myself, we're a fully adopted family. So Rebecca and I have infertility. Does this mean we're not really mom and dad? Absolutely not. We are fully authentically mother and father. So uh, I'm going to pause there for a second because I'm throwing a lot at you. I feel like the fire hydrant. I'm just like... (laughs) No, this is all good. Deep in the core of woman, and I think it's so important today to understand this, is I have a power and a capacity to nurture and knit together in me life. And it's not just physical, although that can be the springboard, but it's spiritual life, rich emotional life, right? Being attentive and contemplative and in tune. I see this in my wife all the time. She has such a gift to be so attentive to people. She has a remembrance. Rebecca can remember so many things at a human level, so many conversations. And I'm like, I don't know what I had for breakfast today. How do you do that? You know, so woman's genius uh, is really essential today as as a life bearer and life giver. And again, that doesn't just mean having babies. I hope that makes sense, Rachel. It absolutely does. No, and I I 100% agree. My husband and I were talking the other day that, you know, my mind is like an internet browser. You know, I'm I'm constantly managing. I've got like 30 million tabs open because I have to remember my son likes this and my other son likes this and, you know, people's schedules and things like that. And when you stop viewing it as a burden and you start viewing it as a gift, man, that's a rush of power. Like talk about being like if you want to truly be feminist, like that's what we should be embracing. And I feel like that's lost because of ideologies that have been that have you know more ad dollars behind them essentially but i really love the way you phrase that because again like just because you don't have babies doesn't mean you don't have a gift that you're not that you are not a gift that is not the single thing that defines you rachel can i pop in just a thought on that point and i love what you just shared personally john paul ii has this amazing insight and i believe it's in the theology of the body catechesis uh, that he unpacked but maybe somewhere else in his writings where he says our culture presently is struggling with either um, mater, which is the Latin for mother, or material matter. And in the post-industrial, post-sexual revolution, even post-gender revolution, we're looking at ourselves just as machines, you know, production-oriented. You just mentioned, right, it's about the numbers. We're not machines, right? We have to get away from the just like we're only matter and the accumulation of matter. We have to get back to mater the mothering, because the the life, like your attentiveness to your three children and to your husband and to everybody in your whole circle and beyond, this outlives all material things, like your personal constructions and family life and relationships, this stretches into eternity into the communion of saints, right? So like when you compare that with like, I want a job that's equal with men so I can have power to, to what? You know, like it, it starts to shrivel and that goes for men as well. If we think our life is about accumulating power and wealth and financial stability, okay, and then what? What have you done personally? What have you done in a human way to, to have life flourish? If we think we're machines or just matter, we fail. 
when we return to mater, mothering, or pater, fathering, that's the, that's the goldmine right there. And that's what it means to be authentically human. So you had mentioned your mentor, Christopher West. I believe he's the president of the Theology of the Body Institute. Yes, we have an executive director, Jason Clark, and Christopher is our president. And Christopher and I um, are sort of the main educators for the courses, though Jen Settles also another, uh, she teaches occasionally. Um, but Christopher and I would be the uh, main ones who deliver courses for the Institute. That's awesome. I was listening to a podcast where he was being interviewed and in it, he mentioned a culture that eliminates the sexual difference in the name of equality is a culture committing suicide. We touched on this a little bit in our last question, but could you elaborate on why or how eliminating these differences could actually be harmful in today's society? Absolutely. Yeah. Gosh. And it's so, um, a lot of the gender ideologies out there today, uh, in, you know, in the name of freedom are actually enslaving us to this, you know, a, a false ideology. So we've been talking, Rachel, about how we're called to be gift and the human person is called to relationship. And I like to refer to it as dance, the great dance that all creation actually, as God designed it from the beginning has complementarity. It has giving and receiving. God sets up the world in the beginning with day and night, sun and moon, land and sea, light and darkness. He's got all these complements, these diverse things that create a splendid harmony. The crown of creation is man and woman. So there's something like cosmic about being masculine male, feminine female. So when we live according to our nature, flourishing happens, life happens. God puts us in a garden. So we see naturally this flourishing of complementarity and we're the crown of that garden, and we're called to flourish into like immortal human lives flowing from us. Gender ideologies today that uh, that just say all sexual difference is social construct; it's meaningless. You can be non-binary. Like this is a popular phrase today in the realm of ideologies, right? That I'm I don't I'm neither. I'm non-binary. Okay, well, first off, that's sort of illogical because by saying you're non-binary as opposed to binary, you just created another binary so there's still there's there's no escaping the fact that there's always a dance right but the non-binary and mercy and compassion for people in authentic gender dysphoria right this is tragic people have authentic gender dysphoria it's no surprise post-sexual revolution post-contraceptive mentality and abortion that we don't know who the heck we are so mercy and compassion to anybody struggling with their sexual identity please May God's mercy flow. But if we try to eradicate sexual difference or think, you know, we're just sort of androgynous or uh, blank, blank canvas, we're literally homeless. If we think we're non-binary, I don't identify as either sex. We're literally sort of the ghost haunting the world, homeless, never landing, not embodied. How, right, if we're called to fruitful life, life-giving communion, but we're actually rejecting, as the, as the language goes, right? I reject the sex assigned to me at birth, right? This is the phraseology that I don't identify with the sex assigned to me at birth. How can you ever live in the world? How can you touch reality and be in an embodied existence? So we have sort of this isolation, this uh, nomenclature that says LGBTQIA, BDSM, the letters go on and on. And I want to speak compassion and mercy into Again, anybody's struggling here, but 
if you're isolated by this letter of the alphabet, you can't live your full human nature. The devil is, he is the isolated one. The devil is the one who said, I will not serve. He has cut himself off from communion. The devil loves to sow this ideology that says you're, you can be alone. You can do it your own way. You can identify as whatever you want. But there's no escaping the fact that we're made for love, right? We're made by love, for love, to make love in the visible universe. That's like the mandate, spiritually or biologically. The biological is leading it to the theological. We're made by love, for love, to make love present in the visible world. That's the call. So eradicating the difference that brings that life, that's what John Paul II called the culture of death. But we believe in a culture of life. Again, I, I realize, Rachel, like I'm just, I'm so excited about this stuff because do you see this is the golden key? This is it right here. And it's in our bodies. It's inscribed in our sexuality, this call to life. Yes, it's, it's oh, that image of, of being a ghost haunting the world, like not knowing where your place is, like how heartbreaking, like, like, like you said, grace and mercy to anybody who is experiencing something so isolating, but, but you're right at the end of the day, the devil's job is to break our communion with God and with each other. And when you feel isolate that isolated, it's gonna, it's gonna reflect and it's, it's very painful to think about, but it's going back to just being a gift. Like when, when you break it down to its simplest terms, you know, yeah. meaning of life is 42. It's, it's, we are made for love <laughs> period. Right. Full stop. <laughs> Actually, maybe, maybe hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is right. We're four, two. We're made for two. The dance. Oh. I have to reread the Douglas Adams book now. <laughs> well, I love, I love how your motherly heart is like, it's compunction, right? You're pierced by it. Like, oh, that's sad. So I think the remedy is, um, you know, how, how fitting that the reversal of Roe v. Wade happened on the feast of the sacred heart of Jesus. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that. It, it was the sacred heart of Jesus. It was also the feast of St. John the Baptist, who was the first to stir in the womb when Jesus appeared his, in, in the womb of Mary. It was also the uh, birthday of, I think her name is Nellie Gray. She was the foundress of the March for Life. So this sort of like a triumvirate of events on the day. But I think the sacred heart of Jesus, it's God's providence because our response to those who are now sort of identifying as, as nothing or everything or our response should be the sacred heart of Jesus, right? It shouldn't be, you're wrong, this is evil, uh, you're condemned, um, you know, or throwing you know, scripture quotes or catechism quotes at them. Our response to those who are angry and fighting this is the sacred heart of Jesus. It's being pierced. It's it's being like in the, the, the lance that pierced Jesus' heart and blood and water flowed out. Our response as Catholics right now should be like blood and water and tears flowing out. We love you. There's no condemnation. We've been deceived for a hundred years or more about what it means to be human. Our response now is love, compassion, sensitivity. We might have to take the bullet for this because I don't think many understand, let alone the SCOTUS decision, but the church's teaching on contraception, abortion, the human person. We're going to probably have to take a lot of hits for this, but our response has to be the sacred heart of Jesus. He took a lot of hits for us, right? We can see it in his sacred heart, which is challenging, isn't it? That's really challenging to receive that. 
and trust God's going to make good out of it. But. Right. He never said it was going to be easy. I mean, he hung on a cross for us. Yes. Yeah, quite the opposite. I think he warned us about something about a cross. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he said something about that. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Building off of that, we talked about the uniqueness of the separation of men and women. But at the same time, I feel like we need to be careful of creating a monolith where all women are the same or all men are the same. I mean, if you think about it, St. Therese and St. Joan of Arc are both very upheld by the church, but have nothing in common, really, other than the fact that they're women. So how can we celebrate our differences using theology of the body without falling into harmful stereotypes? Yeah. First off, um, in Pope Francis's The Joy of Love, um, Amoris Laetitia, he actually speaks right into this. Uh, so this is one of the most fresh of papal documents. But Pope Francis talks into this fact that um, we've got to be careful of these sort of smothering stereotypes that, you know, boys lead and, and, and girls um, are, are more nourishing and nurturing and bringing forth life. He says uh, there can be women who are strong leaders. And I think he actually may have referenced you know, some that you just did, sort of the Joan of Arc or Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Avila. And he says that, you know, a, a man and a, boy, a young boy could be drawn to uh, more contemplative, poetic, beautiful things. Uh, and not, you know, we have stereotypes that boys are just really um, always action-based and boys do these vigorous, intense things and they're sort of alpha males and dominant and girls are submissive and passive. Here's the thing. And there's so much, I wish we had, like, again, hours, Rachel. There's just not enough time for all this stuff. But I, I think this understanding of sexuality in our present culture, sexuality and gender, and there's been this rupture, right? Like, sexuality is the sex assigned at birth. It's biological. It's chromosomal. And then there's gender expression. And our culture is telling us, like, this could be completely at odds with this, your gender expression could be completely different from your actual sex assigned at birth. But we believe as Catholics that sexuality, our, our maleness and femaleness, is organically connected to our gender expression. And as each of us is unique and unrepeatable as a man or a woman, so our expression of our personality, let's not say gender, but personality is unique and unrepeatable, right? So you can have a whole spectrum of different manifestations of maleness and femaleness, femininity and masculinity, that's not like some sort of stoic, classic, stuck stereotype that doesn't budge. So it, it's connected. The problem with the present culture that it says, like, we're just going to cut this. And again, as I said, like, this gender expression could be completely at odds with the sexuality or for the sex assigned at birth. We don't, we wouldn't hold to that. Interestingly, Rachel, if you search in the Theology of the Body of Catechesis for the word gender, it comes up zero. <laughs> if you search for sexuality or sex, it comes up over 400 times. So this idea of gender identity is kind of a new thing. It dates back uh, maybe 60 years, 70 years-ish. The idea is we understand it now. So we have to be really attentive to the person. Okay, I grew up, uh, I have one brother. Um, my father raised the two of us. I have a proclivity personally towards the arts, towards poetry, beauty, music. I live near Philadelphia. I couldn't tell you a single Philadelphia Philly. Like, I know it's a baseball team, but I don't know anybody on it. Does that make me somehow less a man? Because I don't know sports or I can't talk about sports, you know? 
I typically take my car to Jiffy Lube for an oil change. I mean, if I worked, I could probably change the oil in my car. Uh, you know, I remember doing that when I was 19. But does it, you know, if I don't know cars, does that mean I'm not manly? You know, so these stereotypes really aren't helpful. In the present culture, if a young boy, a young teenager is, is you know, is not like some sort of virile, dominant sort of being, and more has a proclivity towards Broadway musicals or or poetry or fashion or something, what do they do? They instantly label them, well, you're probably gay. And then even further down, well, you could be trans. Maybe you're just a human being with a unique personality that has certain likes and dislikes. It, has, it doesn't mean you're suddenly have to change your bodily identity. I'll pause there because, again, we could go on on that point. But point being, the expression is connected. If it's at odds with our body, it can't be. We become a nobody. We become a nothing. I like how you reference because that's that's where my mind was heading is, you know, boys of a certain personality are kind of lumped into one box. But, you know, Broadway musicals aren't inherently feminine and art isn't inherently feminine. And what's I don't see what the problem is if somebody has an appreciation for it, regardless of their gender. Like, why is that a thing? So thank you for yeah. <laughs> harping on that. And why, why is leadership or um, administration or engineer or creativity or discovery somehow masculine? Exactly. Why can't the feminine? So, yeah, it's it's time to really broaden our minds here. And as you reference the saints, Rachel, like we look at the saints. You've got such amazing diversity in the saints as far as the expression of masculine spirituality and feminine spirituality. Yeah, we uh, we love to get stuck in the box. We just love boxes, but... <laughs> You know, God breaks the boxes. Exactly. How can we apply theology of the body to other aspects of our life? Or is it even possible to apply it to, let's say, your professional life since we're talking about, you know, being career driven or moving your body and exercise and self-care? Is that, are those teachings applicable in these areas of life? Yes, absolutely. Let me start with, uh, you know, 20 some years ago when Christopher was really unpacking theology of the body, having discovered it himself in the 90s and teaching it. And when our institute was formed in 2004, there was sort of this, you know, oh, theology of the body, that's that thing about sex, right? That's like sex. And that's for, is that for married people? And, and it got really pigeonholed into, you know, that's about sex. That's, uh, to be very honest, when I first started researching it, that is exactly what I thought. And the more I <laughs> dug into it, the more my eyes were opened. Yes, praise God. We're, we're still working on that as an institute. Like, it's much broader. I mean, ask yourself the question, you know, if it's, is it all about sex, theology of the body? Well, what is sex all about? Dr. Peter Kraft, who's an incredible spiritual writer, philosopher from Boston College, he, uh, he says sexuality is the image of God. Like, when you talk about sex, you're talking about the image of God. And he's just paraphrasing Genesis 1 and 2, right? Let us make man in our image after our likeness, male and female. So, this theology of the body, yes, it's about sex. It springboards off sex, but what is sex all about? Being a human person. So therefore, this theology of the body touches every aspect and dimension of the human person. You know, uh, we've had students, um, thousands and thousands of students from all over the world for the last however many years we've been around, um, 16 years or so. And uh, we've had people come in who are architects, chemical engineers, physicians, teachers, poets, musicians, um, 
people who uh, are fitness and, and foodies, people come in with their unique personalities, which we talked about earlier. They in- embrace and understand this teaching, which becomes this lens, and they see their humanity in a unique way before God. They go out, and it informs everything they do. Okay, so like right now, I'm thinking of a woman who, this is random, she's a quilter. She brought themes of Theology of the Body into her quilt-making group. I just did a talk for a fitness, uh, Pietra Fitness, there's sort of the redemption of yoga. That's a Catholic fitness program. I just did a whole talk for all their trainers. I know a young woman who was like a near professional volleyball player. She runs a ministry called Fierce Athlete, which imbues concepts of theology of the body and the feminine heart into sports and athleticism. Again, every, every dimension of the human story and the human drama, every discipline, everything we're interested in gets infused with this and gets transformed by it, quite honestly. It, it touches on every sort of discipline you can imagine. And we love seeing that at the Institute. We want to be a nexus where people come, re-engage the gospel, understand God's plan for human life and love and the body, and then like allow that to permeate everything that you're already doing and that you love. So we've had you know single, married, celibate, divorced, consecrated virgins, every like from 16 years old, but it's typically we started 18 years old, all the way up to people nearly 80 years old. And they're all being moved by this vision of being human, and it informs their life. So it's for everybody. It touches everything. Because it's simply, again, the gospel reloaded, right? St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive, wherever you are. And so it has something to offer, um, has everything to offer. Case in point, last summer, Christopher and I taught, co-taught a course in Madrid, Spain. One of our students, and I had a great chat with him afterwards, he's a, he was in his third year of medical school, this amazing young man from Madrid. His whole world's getting rocked, right? He's been in medical school where he's been taught, and he's also done work at Harvard, so he's come over for that. In fact, he was just here for that. And he's been taught sort of this machine-like ministry of a doctor to a body, right? How many of us have experienced, those of you are listening in right now to this conversation, you're treated like an object when you go to the doctor's office. It doesn't feel personal. Well, my friend, he, the student, he, he almost thought, like, I need to change my career. I need to go, and this is the teaching now I want to dedicate my life to. And I just said, take a deep breath, slow down. Let's see what the Lord does with your heart that went into medicine to become a doctor for a beautiful, noble reason. Let's see what happens. We just chatted about a, a few weeks ago. Now he's like, I want to bring theology of the body to my ministry as a doctor. I want to restore the dignity of the person. I want to engage my patients and see them as a gift and minister to their wounds and to their body as a whole person. So just another point of like what this teaching can do for people. I was so thrilled to hear that. God's not like going to alter your course radically. I mean, he might have that plan for you, but typically it infuses who you are, where you are. That's incredible. And I love to hear that it is applicable in, and it informs basically how we live, how, how we create meaning as humans. Mm -hmm. So where can we go or what resources are available to learn more about the power of theology of the body? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So resources, um, Rachel, the best way to go for that, I think is tobinstitute.org. So tobinstitute.org or actually theologyofthebody.com will take you there. You can find uh, our courses, our in-person courses, also online courses. We have um, coming up on a dozen courses of all different um, uh, topics in Theology of the Body. 
We also have a whole YouTube channel. If you go on YouTube and search for TOB Institute, we have in our store, we have multiple books, CD series, things like that. And then um, there's an ongoing explosion of other authors and speakers who are writing about Theology of the Body. So uh, theologyofthebody.com or tobinstitute.org is a good place to start. That's awesome. And I will definitely be digging in more. This will be some lovely extracurricular reading and watching for me to do. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining me today and, and kind of just really opening our minds and our hearts to what it means to be human and how to live authentically. This is, this is a great way to do it and be in communion with God at the same time. My pleasure, Rachel. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.